This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. If you're a guest this morning, we are walking through the book of Romans. And Romans in the New Testament is a book that has been called by biblical scholars the masterpiece of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying it's better than any other book. It's all the Word of God, but I, I, I don't think there's a book that does a better job than Romans of showing us who God is and who we are and what we need to do about that. Romans is a book of theology. Theology is doctrine. Theology is what we believe. And one of the things I'm noticing, I, I grew up in church. I've been in church my whole life. And one of the things I've noticed is there are a lot of church people that when crisis hits in life, when life blows up, when difficulties happen, we know what we believe, but we have no idea why we believe it. We've been taught what to believe, but we don't know why. And so it's important to me as your pastor that that we're a community of faith where you know why you believe what you believe. And if you're not a Christ follower, if you're joining us today and maybe you've never committed your life to Christ, you've come on a great Sunday because every Sunday, actually, you're going to get a very transparent view and look at what we believe about what the Bible teaches. And you may or may not agree with it, but it won't be a surprise to you that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is inspired by God. And so we want you to know you're welcome here, and I'm going to do the best I can, as clearly as I can to teach what the Word of God says. But here's the other part of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't just take my word for it. The Word of God challenges you, man. You go home, you study it, you dig into it. I'm just a guy. I can be wrong. It's never happened, but I I could be wrong one day. I'm kidding. But there is a challenge, man. You own your own spiritual growth. You own what God's doing in your life. Don't depend on a pastor, a teacher, a grandma, You get to own it, you dig into it, you discover for yourself. Today we're at the end of chapter 3, and we began a few weeks ago. We're we're in the seventh week in the book of Romans, and honestly, after chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3, I'm surprised you're here. (laughs) I mean, that was some tough plowing in chapter 1, chapter 2, and most of chapter 3. It's kind of felt like we've been in the ring with Mike Tyson and Chuck Norris and John Jones all at the same time. I mean, it was a beating through chapter one and chapter two and chapter three. And I remember so far through these weeks, wondering week after week, is anybody going to show up next week? Like, what is this going to look like? But you came back for more. And you came back for more because I think there's a hunger deep inside each of us to know God in a personal way and also to know and understand what God teaches us about how to live life. You want to understand it. You want to grow in your faith. You want to know God more. And and so through all the bad news, you kept coming. And one of the things that's been shocking is in the last seven weeks, I I got all the numbers this week, our church is growing. Like more and more first-time guests, more and more people coming. And listen, listen, listen. You You might be one of those people that think, well, it's... I just need to know, is this a church that's all about the numbers? Let me be as clear as I know how to be. Absolutely, freaking yes. 
Because every single number represents a life. Every single number represents a name. Every single number represents somebody that matters to God. So we look at that because we want to see, are we being effective in engaging and impacting the community? Because every single person matters. And today, we turn a corner. Today, I've got some really good news. Man, after chapter 1, chapter 2, most of chapter 3, I hope you're ready for some good news. The Holy Spirit through Paul has spent these first three chapters driving home the point that there's a problem. We know there's a problem. You you look at what's happening in the world. You look at what's happening in our communities. We're watching what's happening in Ukraine. We we know there's a problem. We're not surprised that there's a problem. The problem, the biggest part of the problem, is that we don't realize that we are the problem. And so often in life when there are problems... We blame other people. I've never, I've never met anybody that navigated their way to a better life by blaming other people. At some point, we've got to stop and, and look inside ourselves and recognize, man, the person who has caused the most pain in my own life is the guy that I see in the mirror every day. And so these first three chapters, Paul is saying, hey, there's a problem, and the problem is inside us. The problem is a sin problem. There's sin in everything. There's sin in education, in politics, and economics, but the reality is, in this worldwide problem, it is really a deeply personal problem. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. We are not the solution. We're the problem. But if we're the problem, how do we find the solution? How do we find hope and healing? Maybe it's part of the reason that so many people are drawn to Marvel and DC and stories with superheroes. Maybe there's something inside us that knows that we need a superhero. Someone who's human, but more than human. Who comes from another realm to, to save and rescue all of us. We instinctually know that we have a problem. And if we're honest, we know that the solution is not going to be found inside of me or inside of you. We get to verse 21 in Romans chapter 3. And we turn a corner with two very powerful words, but now. Chapter 1 was rough. There were some things about my own life, some things about your life we didn't want to confront. Chapter 2, it got worse. And you may not think worse is a word, but I'm from Texas. That's where new words come from. We just make, you learn that from President Bush. We make up words. It just got worse. And then the first part of chapter three, man, we're taking a pounding. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. What? What is that? What does that mean? Do you ever read the Bible? It's like, I, 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 I'm not sure exactly what he's saying. Remember, I told you two things are going to be true throughout the book of Romans. One, a lot of what the Holy Spirit writes through Paul, he uses Paul's personality. It's completely the word of God, but he writes it through Paul. Paul is a complicated thinker. He thinks like an attorney. And so you're going to feel like at points you're reading a legal document and your head hurts. It's going to be complicated. The other thing that's true about Romans, there are going to be moments that you're offended. And I've encouraged you through this series to have the courage to lean into truth and to ask God what he wants to show you. I'm asking God what he wants to show me. Because just because I'm offended doesn't mean I'm right. And often in life, we spend so much time being offended, we miss the truth of what God may want to do and miss an opportunity for growth because we're over in the corner being offended. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known 
to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given, how do we get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The issues we face, the problems we have, won't be fixed by us obeying the law because that's impossible. In fact, when I read the Bible, it's not so much that I'm reading the Bible, it's that it's reading me. Because I don't have the ability to do everything the Word of God says I'm supposed to do. Forget meeting God's expectations. I don't even meet my own expectations. And so this verse is simply bringing out, hey, the problems we're dealing with, the issues you're facing in life, it's not going to be fixed by us. It's going to be fixed through the righteousness of God. It only comes through God. And then verse 23, Romans 3.23 is one of the iconic verses in all of the Bible. It's one of the most known. It's common. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, but it is a powerful verse. Listen, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, in the Greek, you know what that word all means? For all have sinned, you know what all means in the Greek? Everybody. It means all. It means you and me and you and me. It means every single person in this room. In the mind and the righteousness of God, there are not classifications of people. We label people God does not. There's only one label, child of God. That, that's what he wants us to be. And if you're a Christ follower, you are that. And if not, he wants you to become that. But, but we have, isn't it true that we have certain things that if you do that, you're, you're kind of a worse sinner than other people? And isn't it interesting? We can always find categories of people that are worse than ourselves. Isn't it interesting that we're in our own minds, always better than somebody else. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the language, it's a term of archery. I don't know if you've ever shot a bow and an arrow, but he's saying, hey, we live through life shooting arrows at a target of being the best person I can, a target of being the best husband I can, a target of being a great parent, a target of being a great employer, employee, a target of being a great neighbor, a, a great friend. And this verse is telling me, I shoot arrows, you shoot arrows at that target every day. And we tend to think, well, I didn't hit the bullseye, but I'm closer than him. I'm closer than her. But the reality of this verse says, there is not one single arrow that you've ever shot and not one single arrow that I've ever shot that even hit the target. We're we're not even on the paper. We're not even registering. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 until now, layer after layer, coming from every angle and every perspective, saying, you are, I am, deeply broken. Something is wrong with your life, something is wrong with my life, and we can't do anything about it. You're beyond fixable, and so am I. You and I can't be better, but we can be made new. We can be made right, and it happens through faith. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely. That term justified, justification, it's a a spiritual term, it's a Bible term. To be justified means to be made right with God once and for all. And this passage is saying there's a way to be made right with God once and for all. And if you can be made right with God once 
and for all. And I can be made right with God once and for all. The freedom that that brings. When, when's the last time you were free? Have you ever been free? When you wake up in the morning and the thoughts that rush into your mind, do they bring freedom? When you, when you see that person at the office or in the neighborhood, you feel free? Have you ever really been free? See, Jesus wants to do for you and for me what we cannot do for ourselves. It's a once and for all thing that God does to make us right with him. He wants to set you free and me free from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. He wants to set you free from the you that you don't like, the you that you know is messed up, the you that haunts you. He wants to set you free. And he's saying, now that you know how bad it is, chapter 1, chapter 2, first part of chapter 3. See, the problem is, the problem, the, the deepest problem we have inside of us is we don't think we're that bad. Because there's a list of people we think we're better than. There's a list of people we're not as good as. We know that. But we tend to focus on the list of people we think we're better than. So I'm, I'm really, I mean, I know Jesus died for people, but my part of that is probably pretty easy on him. <laughs> but I've never murdered anybody. But, but he said, if you hate somebody, it's like you've murdered them. I've never been unfaithful to my wife, but, but, but Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust, it's as though you've committed adultery. I don't have any idols. What is it in your life you think about more than Jesus? See, chapter 1, chapter 2, first part of chapter 3, I think part of the reason the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul went so much blow after blow after blow saying how messed up we are is because we needed to be convinced because we don't really believe it. But once you recognize, once I recognize how messed up and broken we are, how sin has impacted and affected every area of my life, once I recognize that and I realize how bad the bad news is, the good news is even gooder. He wants to show you how loving and how good he is. He wants you to live as a different person. He wants you to live free. And he offers to pay the price to make that happen because you and I can't. It's our sin. It's my sin, it's your sin that makes it impossible for us to get to God. Think about this. He's a perfect God. Heaven is a perfect place, which means that you and I are not allowed because we're imperfect. We have sin in our lives. We've all fallen short. But he offers to redeem us. Another biblical word, church word. Redeem means to buy your way, to pay for your way. It costs you nothing. It costs him everything. He offers to redeem us and allow us to be able to connect with him through salvation and forgive our sins and justify us. You might not think your life is worth much. I've met a lot of people that think less of themselves than God does oh, you're not all that in a bag of cookies. You're bad. Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. But your value has never been based on your performance. Your value is based on a God who says, I love you so much, 
I will do whatever it takes to make you right with me forever, done, sealed, taken care of, so you can live free, so you can live life, the life you were created to live. God loves you so much. He offers to buy the life that you don't like. He offers to pay for the parts of you that you don't like. He offers to buy all the worst parts of you and set you free. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. What that means, the the sacrifice of atonement, it means Jesus took what I deserved when he was on the cross. He took the wrath of God, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that I deserved. He, He took it for me. He took the cross for me. He took the cross for you so that we would not have to experience the wrath of God. He took my wrath of God on himself. I don't know about you, but to me, that's pretty freaking good news. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and, listen, the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul lays out four times in these verses to be crystal clear that God is a just God who functions in justice. You hear a lot of cries today for justice from all over the world. We are a people who say we are about justice. We want justice for all the wrongs except my wrongs. We want God to judge and deal with everybody. We want God to bring justice to everybody but me. Because if I got what I deserved, Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God. And and we live in a world where we look at our world and we see the evil that should be punished. And we see the atrocities and the pain and the suffering. And I'm not minimizing that. It's real and it's devastating. And we know that the evil should be punished. And we see the evil in the world while we ignore the evil in our own lives. Because it's uncomfortable. The truth is, to grow as a person, to grow spiritually, we learn about it through growing physically, you have to go to uncomfortable places to grow. I've never walked into the gym and seen anybody with massive muscles on the bench with no bar just going... I've never watched anybody curl air. And listen, if you're like an exercise expert and you say, well, actually you can. If you Shut up. I don't want to know. You mess up my whole story. But the heavier the weight or the more you take the muscle to exhaustion, the uncomfortable place, and you tear the muscle, that's where growth happens. You will never grow in comfortable places. You will never grow in comfortable churches. You will never grow in comfortable Bible studies. You will never grow in the comfortable place of recognizing what's wrong with everybody else and ignoring the glaring things wrong in your own life. You have to go to uncomfortable places to grow. You have to recognize that. The one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, your evil and my evil are what put Jesus on a cross. Not theirs, not those, yours and mine. 
And my evil and your evil had to be punished by a just God. Because if God were not just, he would not be God. So a holy, perfect God has to judge evil. And where is that evil found? In you and me. He has no choice, otherwise he's not God. See, sin is so devastating, it separates us from God. Sin is that thing in our lives that breaks the relationship with the God who loves us and is willing to do anything to have a relationship with us. Often, people say things to me like, man, pastor, I'm, I, I want to be close to God, and I, I'm praying to God, and it feels like the prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, and I, I, don't, I don't really sense the presence of God. I'm not even sure how I would define that. I just know I want more God in my life, and I want to be closer to him. And often, for people that struggle and feel like God is way out there, one of the first diagnostic questions we ask is, Is there any sin in your life that you know is sin, but you're ignoring and doing it anyway? Sin won't cause you to not be a child of God if you're a Christ follower. It'll just cause you to live thinking you are. Sin won't break your relationship with the Father. It'll just cause you to miss out on everything he wants to do in your life. Sin is what separates us from God, but it goes further. Sin is so devastating also because it separates us from ourselves. Sin separates you from the person God made you to be. Have you ever thought about the fact that you're not even close to who you were created to be? I'm not even close to who I was created to be. Look look at your thoughts. Yesterday we were driving and I know, I know, I know I'm not anywhere near who God created me to be when I drive on I-4. Or now Avalon Boulevard, I I don't know who thought, hey, let's put a circle in the middle of the road and have people go around it on their way down Avalon. That's a great idea. That's brilliant. Because apparently, not a lot of people know how to navigate a roundabout. And yesterday, we were going through the roundabout, and I I was in the right-of-way, and this car didn't even tap on their brakes. I got the license plate. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I did. I did get it, but I'm not going to show it to you yet. It depends. I, I think I know who you are, and I'll check the offering, and we'll go from there. But no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But listen, the thoughts I had in that moment, do you know how many times, do you know how many times if I were not a pastor whose face had been on a billboard, who has a magnet on his truck, listen, I'd behave a whole lot differently than I do sometimes. I, I'm just being honest. Like we think it, you're gonna get charged for it, just be honest. How, how many things would you do if you knew you could get away with it? How many things, the only thing keeping you from doing it is you can't get away with it. And if you did, the price is too high to pay for what you'd like to do, so you don't do what you'd like to do because you know you would end up worse because you wouldn't get away with it. See, that's who we are. Sin has separated us from who God knows we can be, from the life he created us to live. It happens in our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our desires, our motives. Just look at your track record. I just look at my track record. And that's why in life we often carry a lot of guilt. And when we carry guilt, the journey takes us to a place called shame. We move from I've done bad to I am bad. And we feel like the kind of person that it's impossible for God to do anything in my life. There's no way God could forgive me. I know God works in some people's lives. I know God blesses some people. I've seen God, I've heard about God answering some people's prayer. 
I know God helps some people have great kids and, and know how to parent and deal with difficult things. God's doing a lot of things in some people's lives. He's just not doing it in mine because apparently God has favorites and I'm not one of them. And when you're in that place, you'll never know joy. You have no peace. And you'll never learn the secret of being content in life. Ambitious, driven, yes, but content. It's, it's why you don't like who you're with when you're alone. It's why you hate that part of you. You're broken. You're not the person you were created to be. And, and this sin that's in you and it's in me It separates us from God. It separates you from yourself. It separates me from myself. And it separates you from others. Our arrogance separates us from people. (laughs) When I went into that roundabout yesterday and that navy blue Toyota Highlander didn't put their brakes on, a lot of thoughts came into my mind. You know what never came into my mind? Maybe they're trying to get somebody to the hospital. Maybe there's some emergency I'm unaware of. Or maybe they just had a phone call before they left the house with the most devastating news they've ever heard. And we can evaluate whether or not that should be driving, but the emotions are numb. Somebody that promised forever just said, I don't love you anymore. We want everybody to think the best of us and give us the benefit of the doubt. But we live in the arrogant place where we think we don't have to do that. And it separates us from people, from others. It's my lies and your lies. It's our temper toward people. It's our attitudes that separate us from other people that is all born in sin. See, your your marriage is not hard because of the other person. I'm not saying they're perfect, but I'm I'm talking to you. See, because one of the dumbest things we do in life is talk to people about other people. That doesn't change anything. The only thing that helps is if you and I have a conversation and I talk to you and you talk to me because the only thing you can control is your attitude and what you do. Your, Your marriage is not hard because you married a sinner. Your marriage is hard because you are a sinner. Your marriage is hard because you spend so much time focusing on what they do wrong and how messed up they are. Let me remind you, you picked them. Like you pulled the trigger. You you made the decision on that one, big boy. You signed up. You thought it'd be a a lifetime of bliss and you got a lifetime sentence, but but you picked them. And so somewhere inside of you, something's broken. And I wonder, I wonder if they would be better if you became better. I wonder if they would be more loving. Not my spouse. You know, how the heck do you know? You haven't even tried. You spend so much of your marriage blaming the other person on your unhappiness. No one can create happiness in your life except the Spirit of God that can create lasting joy. Don't put expectations on people that only God can meet because then you destroy a relationship. It's the sin that separates us. From, I told you all we're doing a marriage conference. Right? It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. What hinders love in marriage and blocks intimacy and erases connection is not something out there. It's something in here. And God offers to free us from so much bondage and separation through Jesus. Have you ever been free? So chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. 
the doctor comes in the room and sits down and all the exams have been done and all the tests have been run and he looks at all the notes that have been input. There's a lot here. This is, this is worse than you thought it was. We've run every test possible about you and who you are at your core. 86 and 87. You mean 1986 and 1987? Yeah. Do you remember 86 and 87? You want to talk about it? No. Two thousand eleven. You know what happened in two thousand eleven? Yeah. You want to talk about it? No. Dallin Road. I know. I know. I don't want to talk about it. Every single thing that's ever happened in your life that's here. It's in the record. Every single thing that you're ashamed of, every single thing that you live trying to ignore, it's it's here. It's, the record is forever. And the doctor would say, I've I've got some bad news for you. It's terminal. You're going to die. And it's hereditary. Your kids have it. Your parents had it. Your spouse has it. This is going to kill you. It's going to kill who you wanted to be in life. It's going to kill the kind of person you wanted to be. It's going to kill the kind of husband or wife you hoped you'd be. That way that you hoped you would live differently and change your family tree, it's it's going to kill that. It's going to kill your parenting. It's going to kill your future. It's going to kill hope. This is terminal. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and most of chapter 3. It's worse than you think about you. Then verse 21. But now. But now. What, what you have, there's, there's only one cure, and it's Jesus. The only hope you have, every, everything in here, in all the record, the only hope you have is that someone else paid for the wrath of God that you deserve. 
verse 21, but now. And the Holy Spirit of God uses Paul to communicate, your only hope, my only hope is Jesus. The problem is we know we need Jesus. We just think we need a little bit. Some people need a lot of Jesus. They're messed up. I just just need a little bit of Jesus. I don't have as many problems as other people. And by the way, I don't want so much Jesus. Like, I want enough Jesus that he gets me to heaven when this life is over, but I don't want so much Jesus that he's my boss in this life. I I still want to do what I want to. Hey, 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 hey. If that's your perspective, the only thing you're doing is adding to the record and building your terminal condition. It's why I love. It's why I love verse 21, but now. Because I know me. And the first, verse 27, the, the Holy Spirit uses Paul to communicate something so uniquely personal and transformational to us through Paul. The guy who was the smartest, remember the guy who was the best educated, the, the highest religious leader, second to none, on his way up, being promoted faster than anybody else in religion, says this in verse 27, where then is boasting? The guy who could have boasted, where's boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of law. See, you and I can't deserve the cure. We can't earn the cure. What we have is killing us, and we can't do a thing about it. The only thing we can do is understand that a relationship with God comes by faith. It's a free gift. We have nothing that we can boast of. I have nothing that I can say before God, hey, this part of me is why you should accept me. There's not a thing, and neither do you. We can't keep the law. We can't meet the requirement of perfection. It is through faith alone, and it is so simple but so powerful. And sometimes the simplicity of truth makes us think it has no power. But God made things really simple because he knows we're really stupid. And if, we, if you want to argue about it, the record. Verse 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised to the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. He, he, he's saying we are given true life through a relationship with Jesus by faith. It's a free gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Neither can I. God is so good that he gave his son to take all of the wrath that should have been poured out on me. And because I've received his free gift, he poured it out on Jesus at the cross. Every single ounce of it. And so faith doesn't nullify the law, but neither does it ignore the law. Paul is saying, we'll get to all of that. We've got 13 more chapters. We'll get to that. What you need to know now is that it begins with all things hinge on. It is held together by one God who justifies by faith alone. It's the free gift of eternal life. It's the only thing that will ever make you truly free. You spend a lot of time trying. But you've never tried trusting. 
Pastor, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You mentioned a few things, but if you were to scan through the the great physician's notes about my life, everything he's seen, everything he knows, all the thought, you don't know me. There's so many things broken in my life. There's no way he would want me. Derek Redmond had been preparing his whole life for the 1988 Olympics that were to be in Seoul. And shortly before the Olympics, he tore his Achilles. It took him out. They said his career was over. He would never run for the UK again. What he'd given his life to, he was done. He had multiple surgeries, went through rehab, and actually got to the place where he was at peak condition, and you couldn't even tell there'd ever been an issue. So he was at the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. His race was the 400-meter race. He had trained so hard and recovered so well, he was actually one of the favorites to win. Check, check this out. One hundred meters in, his hamstring pops. He said he heard a popping noise and felt intense pain. He knew he couldn't win, but he wanted to finish. Because in life, when you're hurt, often finishing is winning. He would hobble in pain for about 50 meters, giving it everything he could. And this man, this man came running out of the bleachers, out of the stands. Security couldn't stop him. He would let nothing get in his way. He had to get to him. They tried to stop him at the edge of the track. He wouldn't let them because he wanted to help him. Derek said to him, I just want to finish. That man that came out of the stands was Derek's father. And there was nothing that could stop him from getting to his hurt son. He wanted to finish the race. And when you want to finish the race, when you're hurting, there will be plenty of people that will rush from the sidelines to tell you how hurt you are and how you need to get off the track and how you need to just stop and you can't do it. But when you're in the arms of a father who's helping you finish, he will get them away and out of your life if you'll pay attention to him. See, the reality is, no matter how broken you are, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter how messed up you think you are, you have a God that loves you so much. He came out of the stands through his son Jesus and paid the way for you to finish, even in your brokenness, to finish the race of life in his arms and achieve something most people do not. But it only happens if you're in the arms of the Father. 
Stop trying to hide what's broken. Stop trying to overcome what's broken. Stop listening to people that stand on the sidelines of your life that think they know best and connect with a father who did everything to see your wrath poured out and his son pay for it so that you could know him and be free for all falls short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is salvation that is found only in accepting what Jesus did for me on the cross and bringing that into my life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. And you know, you know right now in this moment, deep in your heart, you know that what you need is Jesus. That what he did on the cross was for you. And you want to accept his free gift of eternal life, justified, made right with God once and for all, sins forgiven, guilt and shame removed. And the spirit of God inside your life to walk with you through the moments when life pops, when you're hurt and when you're injured to carry you. God offers so much. He offers offers freedom in being able to connect with and know him in a personal way. If you're here today with heads bowed, eyes closed, and, and you'd like to give your life to Jesus, man, I can't think of a better time than right now. You're not here by accident. And God knew every word that would be spoken today and wanted to be sure you'd be here to hear it because because this is your day. All of this from the beginning of time was just for you because God loves you and wants to know you, wants to forgive you, wants to have a relationship with you. If that's what you want with heads bowed and eyes closed, just pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. Just say, dear God, I know I need you. Jesus, please come into my life and forgive my sin. Thank you for loving me. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 